Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bobby Moore and Sir Jeff Hurst The trailer looking at Billy Bones Paolo DiCaglio West Ham United More than just a Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is more than just a podcast. Podcast! Excellent. I'm glad you did that in front you. We're here for a special edition. It's International Week. Uh, there is no football, uh, but we've been called a special Cobra mich- um, meeting. Uh, a little bit like the government when there's national emergency. Our national emergency is West Ham. So we've come to talk about to see if we can right the wrongs of the meltdown that's going on about West Ham tonight. With me is Nigel. Hello. Are you in your shed, Nigel? Yeah, back in my shed. Yeah, yeah after there. after your walking holiday in uh, Cornwall. Cornwall. Yes, yeah, back my feet are sore, but that's about it. Also back is probably John in his loft. Yes, hello, I'm in my loft. And uh, I'm afraid I've got an apologies here because... Uh, George is on a train. Southwest Trains have mucked up the train, so he's still on a train. He's not with us. So we've got a standby. We've got a new presenter tonight, and that is Ian Dale. Hello. I thought you were going to apologise for the fact that you've got me. <laughs> where are you, Ian? Because we like to know where you're recording from. Um, I am in Pembury, which is a village just outside Tunbridge Wells, sitting on my sofa, watching Wales uh, as we record. <laughs> wow, you can see the sea from there. <laughs> So uh, that, um, that deserves a yeah, oh yeah, hang on, one, two, three. There you go. So right, no football to discuss. Let's get straight to it. Um, what is going wrong with our club at the moment? Um, I wrote uh, an article on Clarence Hughes saying there was a perfect storm. Other people have said it's an imperfect storm. Let's start with you, Nigel. What is going wrong in our club? Why the sudden? Doom and gloom, balled out, manager out. It's gonna, it's the end of the world. Because um, they made a rod for their own back in what they said four or five years ago, consistently moving up to the moving us to Stratford. Now the fans expect them to deliver on the years of quotes that the club was going to change, uh, when actually. The club hasn't changed. It's still the same old West Ham. And people ain't happy about it. Is it simple as that? Because there was a euphoria that I saw when we signed Little P, Chikorito. Everyone went, wow, we're moving up in the world. That's We've signed a, a striker of this quality. And yet, literally, six weeks later, you know... It's like World War Three's broken out and suddenly balled out, manager out, stadium out. And, and you know, it's like we've been relegated already. Overreaction, flip-flop generation, Nigel? Yeah, that, I mean, that's why I started using that phrase at the start of the season, the flip-flop generation. The, the same people you probably found that were saying we're going to finish top eight, challenge top six after the four signings, but 
are sort of questioned in the age of the signings and you know Chikorito is a top quality striker but he's at the peak and he's going to be on a downward slide not an upward slide so now after three defeats three away game defeats we've done all the last time about playing away and while we're no good anyway or never have been so it's just more panic but it's the circus isn't it that, that is West Ham it, it's not just a failed or maybe not even a failed transfer window because actually for you could say pretty decent signings it's the what comes after the Cavalio did he bid didn't he bid Sport in Lisbon come out and have a pop Sullivan has to have a go back Sullivan frying Bilic under the bus by point effectively saying it's all his fault blokes yeah, that's a motivational that's a motivational tactic more of that later yeah yeah so, yeah alright <laughs> I'll take your word for that that'll motivate me surely well before we move on to John you, you wrote a blog for for us on Claren and Hugh um <laughs> which we're, we're trying to show some balance on Claren and Hugh um how how was that received <laughs> well so it's an, it's a mixture you know you right you're gonna get the good you're gonna get the bad it, it is quite surreal to flick through Facebook on one West Ham group and find someone that that does not know me whatsoever uh is not friends with me on Facebook absolutely call me every name under the sun on a Facebook group not expecting me to pop up welcome um, to my world yeah you know <laughs> I, I just popped up and pointed out you know, friendly that he spelt my last name wrong, which upset me more than the four-letter words he was causing me. So, which funny enough, he didn't reply. That I'll take that on the chin. That don't you know? If you want good yeah. comments, you've got to take the bad comments as well. So I'll I'll take that. Ian, I know you've you've written some pieces as well. Um, what, what what's your take of it? You you sit in the posh seats, don't you? Do you want to explain to people where you sit at um, in the London Stadium? Um, I don't know if they're regarded as posh seats. I said the 1966 seats purely because I couldn't get anywhere. Because I used to sit about um, halfway into the uh, Trevor Brooking stand, half, uh, but quite near the dugouts. And of course, they're all corporate seats now. So in the end, I decided to go over the opposite side, even though I, I mean, I really like watching what happens in the dugouts and what the manager does and all the rest of it, which obviously you can't from the other side. But I was, I, I could, I could have had row three, I think, but I thought well, you're just not going to see anything from there. So um, I'm on the halfway line, it, front row of the 1966 seats, which I call the Royal Box. Well, truth be known, and and I don't want to reveal this too much, but actually Nigel wanted 1966 seats, but he couldn't get any. But we don't we don't talk about that, Nigel. Well, as I said last time, Nigel, I got two tickets. You're very welcome to join me. <laughs> Look, I may take you he, up he, on that. Just for the he novelty. tries to make out he's all high and mighty. In where well, he's high and mighty because he's right at the back. He's he's moved to band five now, by the way. So, so you, you get a nosebleed up there, don't you, Nigel? <laughs> Well, no, because I've actually moved two rows forward yeah. from my band four seat. Yeah. So it just goes to show you what they thought of me first time round. Anyway, uh, back <laughs> back to Ian. So yeah, what's your take on on what is this this sudden disaster? Well, it's a disaster because we've lost three games and whenever any team loses three games in a row, there's always question marks over the manager's position. I mean, that, that's the fickle world we live in nowadays. Um, I think a lot has contributed to that, which no doubt we'll talk a bit about later. In, in terms of the transfer window, I was really happy with Joe Hart uh, signing. I was really happy with Hernandez signing. Anatovic. I think he's a brilliant player on his day, but if you want consistency, you don't get that from an Artovich. And £24 million for him, I'm sorry, that that was utterly ridiculous. Zabaleta, uh, we, we've needed a right-back for, what, three years now? Well, we've now got one. And uh, although he looked a bit dodgy, and certainly in one of the games, um, he's an accomplished player. So I was quite happy with that. But then we get to sort of what's happened in the last two weeks. On what planet does the chairman of the football club go on holiday in the week up to the transfer window. I mean, he's never done it before. So you have to think, well, why has he done that? And the only conclusion you can draw is that he never intended to sign any players in the first place. That's the only reason that I can think of that he did it. Because you cannot conduct a proper negotiation from your sort of beach hut in Marbella or whatever, can you? 
Well, he, he, I would say, it, all right, it's the first time you know about. I would argue, <laughs> actually, I'm not an apologist for DS, but he actually never does, he, he never does the work from the London Stadium or, you know, he does it from his Essex office, you know? Yeah, where he's got all his records, where he's got all his equipment and whatever. Now, obviously, in the internet age, you can do things remotely. I, I completely get that. But what signal does it send where you're, you're not freely available to talk to the manager or to your other board members or whatever, or indeed to players or, or agents uh, in the way that you would be if you were in your home office? I, I, I just don't get that at all. I don't think he thought he was going to be outed. Uh, that he was in Marbella. He often goes to Marbella in the summer. He often goes to Barbados. Did he, did he only get outed because of the other um, tweets that went out from Marbella that got highlighted by the press? Well, I, I think a few people had talked he was on holiday and, and it did get out. It was in, in Marbella. But, you know, I, I accept that maybe he would argue, if he was here, that he can do business anywhere in the world on, on the end of a phone and email. And, and, and there is there is some truth in that. But when you've got like the Carvalho deal, which I know you said was dead, what, two weeks yeah. before the transfer window, and you may well have been right on that. But w when you've got, again, a, a very expensive player that we all hope to sign, where we've all been led up the garden path yet again, it may be for very valid reasons. We'll, we'll probably never know the answer to that. But we had it with Lacazette. We had it with Batshuayi. We've now had it with Carvalho. And no doubt we'll have another one in January, we never seem to get them. And, and it's, I don't want to overspend, uh, overpay for a player, but I mean, he's clearly a quality player, judging from everything we, we know and we, we've seen. Um, that one of the excuses was, oh, well, we can't have him now because he's unfit. Well, he's played for Portugal over this weekend, hasn't he? So he can't be that unfit. Yeah, we are going to come back to Carvalho. Before I move on to John, Slaven in or Slaven out, Ian? Um, I think the decision's been made. It doesn't really matter what we think. I've always been a very pro Slaven Bilic, and, and I'd still like to be because I think he's a really decent guy, transparently nice guy. Um, but I do wonder whether he's lost the dressing room a bit. Um, I, I'm, I read somewhere today, I'm trying to remember where it was, um, about the fact that after the Newcastle game, he just almost seemed to have given up in the dressing room. Um was that Danny Gabidon, I think, wrote an article somewhere yeah. saying that. I don't know how he knows, but he's presumably still got good contacts there. Now, if that's the case, and the players aren't really going to play for him anymore, there is no point in delaying the decision. If he's going to go, and, and if we lose against Huddersfield, I'm, I'm sure he will go. But if he's going to go, just make the decision and and have someone lined up. And it's pretty clear that Benitez is giving signals that he'd certainly be interested. He feels he let the, let us down when he went to Real Madrid after nearly signing for us then. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he's necessarily the right person, but there aren't many others around, are there? Well, he apparently he's today, he's, or over the last two days, he's committed his, the rest of the season to Newcastle. Uh, and he's not interested in any other positions. Um, so. uh, okay, well, I, I, I believe that when I see it, because all he needs <laughs> to do is manufacture another little row with Mike Ashley, and he'll be off. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move on to John. John, whose fault is it? It's it's just a culmination again of it all, isn't it? It's it's another example. I'm afraid it's a, it, it is that old thing where if we were still at the bowling, we would just get on with it and accept it. I think we let a lot of things go last season because there was the big change going into the new stadium. It was always going to be sort of traumatic and turmoil and all these things that went against Billich, for instance. I, I excuse him for most of last season because he had a lot to deal with. But I think this was the season we were expecting to see the change from, as Nigel would say, from the same old West Ham to the new West Ham we were all promised. And as Ian was just saying, we've been promised the big signings in the past and never got them and never got them and never got them but I, I'd seriously think that this was the transfer window where most people were thinking right this is the time we're going to get that signing this is the time we are going to get the Lacazette the Carvalho the Bashuai or whatever it was in the past and I think people have now come to realise what we are dealing with as a board and I think it's all sort of come home as one but you said it's a combination of things yeah, yeah. Combination of what the you know the manager must take well, his blame. Do the fans, a, the fickle you, you fans, your, have you some and your fickle blame fans. part to play? You, 
it, it's a combination of people that originally there was people who didn't want to move there are people that accepted the move because it's going to make us move up to the so-called next level or bring us up to a par with some other teams that we'd like to be there with but it's it's the, it's a realization from everybody i think of who believed in whatever they believed in whether it was the right thing to move or not move that we are going to still be the same old west ham in a new stadium which isn't just as much fun to be in as it was in the bowling you know what i mean I don't buy that at all because I think it's far too early to judge. It's a bit like, sort of, <laughs> to bring a bit of politics into it, the Brexit talks. I mean, how, how, how on earth can you judge after after one season at that stadium? Um, I, I was all in favour of the move for the reasons you've just given, and I still think that it was the right thing to do. Um, my heart would still be, prefer to be at Upton Park, but I think as a as a club, as a business, you have to take the take advantage of these situations that are offered to you. And I, I think that it actually will be a good stadium for us. Um, we showed signs towards the end of last season um, that we can play there. There were there was there were some games with a fantastic atmosphere. Remember the Tottenham game, the Chelsea game, actually in the League Cup earlier in the season it was a fantastic atmosphere. So there can be a good atmosphere there. It's just that it's not Upton Park. We can't compare it to Upton Park. And we, we've got to persevere. Well, we have no choice but to persevere with it anyway. But once we get, if we get the right team, then we'll all be behind them. But it's yet again a transfer window where we've we've emerged from it with only three strikers at the club, and we all know that either Sacco or uh, Carroll is going to get injured. Now that gives an opportunity maybe to Tony Martinez to come in. Um, but we've actually got fewer strikers now than we had last season. And you're never going to uh, do anything if you haven't got proper goal scorers. And we hope Hernandez will be. I mean, he scored two in three games, literally uh, the same game. And I think it's actually shown that he will probably be a good signing. But if he gets injured and Carroll's injured, I mean, we're going to be up the creek again, aren't we? Yeah, but I'd see, I, I agree that the stadium can be a, a Good, good atmosphere when things are going well but I think the realisation is is that they're not going to go well as often as we'd like them to because we're the same old West Ham and we've got the same old oh, things going on. That the same at Upton Park? I mean I, I, I think people have rose-tinted spectacles when they look back at Upton Park. There were some awful atmospheres there particularly in the last few years. If you're playing badly you're not going to have a good atmosphere. If you're playing well you'll have a good atmosphere wherever you're playing. But it's also the accumulative fact of being in the new stadium as opposed to everything that you had when you were at the old stadium. I mean, all of the comforts of your usual your usual sort of routines, yeah. your usual pub, your usual... All of that made your day yeah, as, as much as, as the I miss game of football. As much as anyone else does. Um, I... Yeah, the game of football was rubbish. And everything <laughs> you saw was rubbish. You put up with it because you're used to it. But you're not with it because you've had a greasy spoon at Ken's. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And but so I just think I just think it, it's so many parts of it. But I think that that's a big factor. I think people are, there's still a bit of anger from that is, yeah. is flying over to now. No, and all, and and I also agree that you know the squad is very light. They've they've let a lot more go than they brought in. So we are very thin on the ground. In people who actually look into it deeply, if you look into it properly, a few injuries and we're in big trouble. So, I mean, just on that, and Sean, you probably know the answer to this. Um, if we wanted to get Reese Burke or Cullen or any of the others back during the season, can we do that? Or are they actually, they've literally gone for the whole season? So that the rules are that you can't bring a if it, if they're on a season long loan you can't bring them back right. um unless there's a mutual consent from both sides okay. usually you have to wait for a transfer window uh, but even then it's a contract and you can't call someone back if it's a short term loan there there's more um you know there's okay. more agreement unless it's written into the contract itself but season long loans you know there's usually a fee involved yeah. i mean snodgrass not that we call snodgrass um, in the end, Villa paid a £1 million fee um, for Snodgrass and we're paying a percentage of his wages, which sort of evens itself out, but we couldn't call Snodgrass back. See, that's a weird uh, Why didn't we just sell him? Uh, they didn't want, they didn't want yeah, to there take were, the risk. There were other clubs interested in him, weren't there? 
Uh, not, not. So there were inquiries, but no one else actually put the money on the table. Villa, in the end, were the only ones to put money on the table. Because, because don't get me wrong, they weren't going to do Villa any favours. It was who, who, who's the highest bidder and, and who's prepared to pay the most of the wages. Mm. Um, I think we ended up they they're paying sixty percent of the wages plus a one million pound loan fee, which sort of evens it out. But but no one else could put that kind of dough on the table. But no, we can't call people back. Um, unless both sides agree and, and they may want compensation anyway. But let's move on because part of the pantomime, because I wrote um, an article for on Sunday for Ian called the pantomime. I did, I did get a little message from the club <laughs> asking me whether I was exasperating the situation by writing about pantomime and putting a picture up of clowns of the board and the manager. Where did that go on? West Ham that went on I West Ham till I die on on, on my column. Do you Sunday. write for West Ham till I die, Sean? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Oh, only on a Sunday, eh, hey, Ian? Um, a, much, a much more pleasant sight to look at from a design point of view than Claret and Hugh, isn't it, Sean? Um, I'm I'm neutral in these kind of things. <laughs> so uh, there, there's certainly a lot more debate. I, I did. I did get a bit of grief, as you can imagine, Ian. I don't know if you read any of the comments, but I, I did get a bit of grief from, from the locals. It's safer not to, I find. Yeah, no, I always like reading them. I always overjoyed by I enjoyed some of them comments, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> pathetic, pathetic, you bald stooge. Anyway, I'll go and have a look. Let's talk about, let's uh, talk about Cavalio. Um... I think someone. I think John said in the week called us a bit of a laughing stock. I called it a pantomime. I'm going to start back with you, Nigel. What's your take on? You know, some people are saying, you know, and I, I you know, the Sporting Lisbon uh, communications director. I must say his words called uh, David Sullivan a liar and a parasite. He's now taking legal action. Um, let's go back to the first thing. Was he miss? Was he ill-informed to run that, that article that threw Billage under the bus and said we made a bid on Carvalho in the first place? Nigel, what's your take on the whole situation? Yeah, I think he... Well, I don't know about ill-informed. I'd imagine he made the decision himself and didn't listen to anyone else. Uh, you know, it's my club. I'd, I'm putting this on the website. Put this out. I mean, it's, it, 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 it creates division among the fans. Because there will be fans that side with Sullivan and the board. There will be fans that side with Billich. And they will argue it out. And Sullivan will just walk off to his villa and pay no notice to it. And, and this is how it causes trouble down the line. Now, then we get to the bid itself. Did we bid? Didn't we? You know, I'm sure... Who do we'll you believe, though, it. Nigel? Let's, let's oh, talk about you. Who do you I, believe? This is, what this is what I'm looking at. I reckon it was there was a bid put in. Whether we were dealing direct with Sport in Lisbon or we were dealing with middlemen, God only knows. I would imagine, knowing the club, we put in a really low bid, which I won't criticise for because when you know when you're trying to buy a car, you're not going to walk in and and they go, well that car's ten grand. You're not going to go, oh yeah, then there's ten grand. You're going to go, I tell you what, I'll give you six cash. No, that's just you, no. Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know, Nigel. You know, we know the Telegraph have said Jason Burt, which I oh, know. Let's, let's not muck around. We know he talks to David Sullivan. Yeah. There was an email on the tenth of August offering twenty-five million euros. But that's right. not a bad. In, that's in, a good in three in three instalments over three years. You know, I'd never heard of Cavalli. I don't play FIFA. I don't really pay a lot of attention to European football apart from when the tournaments are on. So I watch England play. So England haven't played Portugal. I probably saw him in in the Euros that Portugal won. But to be fair, I was probably more watching Ronaldo to see what he does than than the midfielder. So I can't say, oh, this bloke is worth forty million. What they're asking, personally, I probably don't think he is, and I don't think West Ham's got the money at the moment to go out and pay that on top of all the fees, the add-ons, and everything else. So yeah. they've probably set a figure 
gone with that figure. It didn't come off. I think they played a game. I think they hoped that come deadline day, that Lisbon, if no one had, uh, had bought him, Lisbon would would take the money, which possibly looked like they did come off offering after. It's just a bit of a mess. But that's yeah. football, isn't it, at the end of the day? Ian, who's in the right or wrong? Is this a, a playground spat or...? or? Well, it's pretty unedifying, and anybody who ever thinks of launching a libel action usually ends up not launching a libel action because it can be incredibly expensive. And, um, I mean, bear in mind, this is in another country too. Uh, nothing will come yeah. of it. He doesn't want any money. He's already said that. He said any money would go to charity. So I, I just think this sort of thing doesn't do us any favours. We, we'll never probably know who said what to whom. Clearly, we did bid at some point, but his point was that um, they asked us to bid right at the end of the transfer window. Or, and he said it was too late because they, they couldn't put all the paperwork through, couldn't do a medical. Well, it turns out you can do a medical after the deadline. Um, and, and bear in mind, the player was with Portugal then. Sullivan may be right to say, well, it was all too difficult. But if you, let's face it, in these situations, if both sides want a deal to go through, a deal will go through. The player clearly from wanted to come he was pictured doing the sort of irons cross so you have to assume that he was keen to come um but it was just one of those situations where you thought well is our heart really in this it's like all the rumors about gomez coming from barcelona again um i mean a class player apparently i i, I don't know him but i mean you don't play for barcelona if you're a bad player um did, did any of us really believe that that was ever going to happen if, if this one didn't come off um, the Wilshire one. I mean, I was, I I know his, his injury record. I would I'd have actually quite liked to see Jack Wilshire come, but um, um, that that clearly was never going to happen because of his injury record, I suppose. But uh, we were. I think we were. We were all just left with an empty feeling at the end of it all, weren't we? Yeah, I I guess so. It was about managing expectations, um, and in some ways there was plausible deniability because you know the media can run whatever stories they want. Most of the media stories aren't true. Although West Ham does leak a little bit more than any other club, but, you know, no one, no, yeah, no, most people, you know, say, well, you know, if it's not on the website, we don't believe it. And and the mistake here is, why did he have to make that statement, you know, of saying we did make a bid? Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this in, in anyway. And and I don't think it does either. Well, the, the reason he made that statement is, is quite clear uh, to throw Billich under the bus. There can have been no other yeah. reason than to make that statement. To actually tell the world that you offered your manager two first-class players, again, I've never read of either of them, but they are supposed to be really good, and then the manager says no, why, why would you make that public unless you wanted to make a point? Yeah, I guess so. John, you you at the time <laughs> sitting on the fence there, Sean. <laughs> John, you said we're a laughing stock. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's exactly. I mean, how many other times have you ever seen this sort of stuff hit the press about any other club in the transfer window? It's it's this sort of stuff. I don't read stuff about any other no, club. You... Sometimes I think we're too obsessed about West Ham that maybe this stuff goes on elsewhere, but we don't well, maybe read about it. You, you can listen to the radio. You can what you know. You don't see this stuff going on at any other club than ours. And I just it's just that's why I said it's a laughing stock. It's just unbelievable, really. It's like some kind of sort of soap opera, isn't it? But you know, I just I just think that. I think they probably did make an approach early on. They tried with their usual lower bid to try and get... And I agree with Nigel, we haven't got the money. We can't really go out and buy a 40-odd million pound player as much as Sullivan likes to say that we can. Not, not when we're loaning money, mortgaging off yeah, our... Um, exactly. You know, mortgaging off our training grounds and our London Stadium bill and our shop leases to, to borrow money. Yeah, but that's another yeah story. exactly. So we, we're not in that in that league yet. We can't afford it, really. I reckon they went in early, tried to get the player, but I think that with the three defeats and the way the season was panning out, I think he buggered off on holiday and thought, right, that's it. I'm not backing him. I'm not spending any more money on this manager. If he loses to Huddyfield, he's out, and I'll save him money for January. That's what I personally do, think. Do you, do you think sometimes Sullivan leaks information about possible big bids just to make himself look better, and then when it fails, he sort of says... 
well, I did try, you know, Lacazette. Well, if he keeps, to, if he, he probably has done in the past, but he should have learned by now that he's not doing him any favours. And just... lots of people have been calling for the ball to go, and I'm sure you and Nigel would join in that, uh, John. Uh, with 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 your you know history tells us that, you know you're not the most uh, best supporters of the board. You know they own unless someone's prepared to buy the club. No one you know they, they can't just resign. Would be the next best thing of David Sullivan to set, step down as de facto director of football and let someone else deal with the football side. So he just becomes a an owner. What what's the best scenario? Be Assuming that if there's no one else to buy the club, it's not a case of balled out because if there's no one to buy it, it's not an option. David Gold doesn't really play any day-to-day um, relationship with the club. You know, he doesn't run it, etc. That's Karen Brady. So, what? Where's the solution to this? Where's the end game for the for the anti-balled or the balled out brigade who are doing this crowdfunding and getting these campaigns and want these banners and stickers and they want to do a protest and they're not going to buy merchandise for the shop where is the end game for these people I know you're, you're not their spokesman John but I'm asking you no they, they, I mean is, is that actually happening crowdfunding things and places yeah yeah crowdfunding but, for board out I think they've raised like they've already raised the money haven't they uh, Nigel I'm no, sure you put in a few I was quid. away so when it, when it all blew up so I know of it but I can't say I've looked to see whether they raise the money or put money towards it um, I don't feel the need to put money to things like that <laughs> people know where, where I come from I'm not so much bald out as Brady out that's that's realistically what I would love to see Now, just an update on Brady. That's a good link there, Nigel. Um, for those who listen to the podcast, we were going to try and get a uh, interview with Karen Brady, and and uh, I did ask her for this episode <laughs> to do an interview. Um, and and if you were listening, you also know that we're going to get Nigel to do it. Um, so I did get a reply from Karen Brady uh, yesterday to say she doesn't do interviews anymore about West Ham, but. Hold up. We know that's not true, though, don't we? Because she went on the Premier League show with Craig Bellamy. Well, all right. She doesn't do interviews anymore with West Ham fans like Nigel. She didn't actually say that, but um, it was a no. <laughs> Basically, Nigel, sorry. She said, I suggest you speak to DS or DG, and we've obviously spoke to DG already. So um, I, I'm afraid your, your glory of interviewing... Um, your, your favourite director has, has um, been denied. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Perhaps I'll apply to join the SAB and talk to her there. They are, yeah. Yeah, they're still recruiting for that, aren't they? I apply. 
Yeah. While, yeah. while you've been talking, I've just looked up this crowdfunding thing on the Just Giving site, and they've raised a grand total of £255. That will flag. probably make a flag. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they've still got to get to 350 Quickly, exactly quickly, uh, go on, uh, John, Rush. Nigel, get get the other amount in. <laughs> no, to be fair, they won't no, get the flag right. in the ground anyway. Uh, I, I mean, they're going to take it to a game, I think. I think they're... they're, 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 they're well, listen... Someone had a flag made about Brady, took it to away games, and West Ham members of staff asked the home team to go and take the flag down. And the home team got the stewards to go into the away end and tell the person, can you put the flag away? And when he got playing, when he said why, they said a member of staff of West Ham have seen the flag up and have complained. Too right. Now, as someone that's had a flag that got a banning order from the bowling, you know, Save your money, people. Did, did you there's, get a banning order? My flag from the, yeah, I, you didn't I had get a, a bit of bother. Order. No, not me. My flag did. Um, <laughs> I put the club, then don't bring it again because it was uh, an inflammatory political message. Yeah, that I was trying to get across. There you go. That's part of so being the sad, famous two. Right, we're going to move on to Sacco for time. Part two of the pantomime is Sacco. Um, and, and there's two things that I believe, I'm going to say, joins these two things up, and that's agents. And I wrote that about that today. So the agent at Carvalho is Pep... Uh, I can't say the word. Guardiola. Guardiola's. That's the word. Guardiola's brother, Pierre Guardiola. And it appears, my sources close to the club, say that's where the contact was. That's where the bids were put in. He was the go-between. And, of course, in the Sacco's case, Mark Mackay, uh, son of Willie Mackay, someone... I, I had a tip-off from a French journalist before a few days before deadline day saying that Sacco was being offered around um, uh, French League, League One clubs. And I, I sort of dismissed it. He's a very well-known journalist. And then I got it from a second person... I asked a senior source in the club and said, we're not offering Sacco around. So I just wonder if we're going to be a little bit sympathetic to Sacco, whether, and in this other situation, the agents are the real enemy and they're the ones that control the game and they're the ones in between maybe almost being double agents playing both ends of, of, of the transfer deal and causing all this. And let's start with you, Nigel, again. The Sacco is there? Is there many? He's he's been made. He's been demonised, and people have said, "Throw him under the bus." You know, don't give him another chance. This is all your own fault. But he seems to have, after missing two days training, maybe easily led. He's come back. He's knuckled down. He's potentially offered a new deal. If he scores six goals, if he plays half the games before January, he can either have a move or double his money from twenty-seven grand a week and and get a longer deal. What what's your take on the Sacco saga? Nigel, I, I think it's, it stems from what's gone on in the past two years with him and Billich, where he got the injury away. Then there was a the rumour that he fell out with Billich. We tried to bring him back too quick. He didn't want to play for the club. You know, that we nearly sold him to West Brom. That fell apart. He then came back. I was at the game Man United away where he scored. I think after five minutes in his return. Managed, I think, another thirty minutes for getting injured in the in the next game. Not to be seen for the rest of the season. So we finally get him fit. We know when he is fit and on his game, he's probably as good as, if not better, than Andy Carroll. And there's that side to it that that, that perhaps the club bear in mind. That especially, I think, with Chikorito, would work well. Then you look at if you look at how much he's paid though, he's probably down one of the lowest paid players. Yet on his day, he's one of the best players. I think that probably rankles him. A yeah, bit it does. That I deserve more money. So therefore, you know, agents. Me personally, if I ever ran football, I had this conversation with people I was walking with. I would the first thing I would do is ban football agents. They are realistically the root of all evil in football, in my opinion. And the only thing that disappointed me was that I didn't back the horse. <laughs> you know, because I got you know, told you know, there was a no runner called Happy Hammer, the Happy yes, Hammer. But I, but I got told that if ever the owner's just going to watch his horse run yeah. during the midweek race, he's probably going to win. 
So uh, that that was my one. So do you give him another chance, a fifth chance, or whatever it is yeah, now? Yeah. yeah? Well, I, I, he should be fit for Huddersfield, along with Andy Carroll, by the way. Heard it here first. The only thing about it is, is that we know he's had trouble with Billich. We know he spoke to the owners, probably by phone, because he went to London Stadium and no one was on. Yeah, he, well, he didn't. Um, he, spoke, he spoke to Andy Pincher, the, yeah, the club right. secretary. No, none of the owners you know, would talk to him. For all we know, they could have said, look, if Billich might not be around, we can't sell you now. Can't come January, yeah, exactly. there's a good chance Billich won't be there. Hang about, see what happens. And that's why we yeah. get to this point where if you stay and play and scores... We'll either sell you if Billich is still here, or if you get some goals, we'll double your money under mm. a new manager that may be more receptive to him. Possibly. Ian, do you forgive and forget, Sacco? I don't think we've got a choice, have we, with the number of strikers we've got at the club? Um, he's, he's staying, and they, they're going to have to try and motivate him. He's clearly a sensitive little soul. We know that from his previous track record. But on his day, as, as John or Nigel said, he is a brilliant player. He can score goals. We've seen some fantastic goals from him. But they've got to play a system that allows him to score goals. Similarly with Hernandez. Why is Hernandez being played as the sort of single striker? Because he's never, ever played as a single striker in any club that he's been at, as far as I know. he, would play, he I, I'd love to see him play alongside Andy Carroll. But is Bilic going to play that formation? I, I have my doubts. Yeah. John, just to finish the conversation off. Uh, I, you know, I, just, yeah, I, I agree all round. Yeah, there's no point throwing him under the bus. I do think that there's some conversations that have been had and I agree with the scenario that Nigel said. Should he have been offered a new yeah. contract? Some people say he should. Be, some people are saying he should be booed if he comes on, which seems a bit counterproductive from a West Ham point of view. And oh. some people have said he should never have been offered a contract. He's a Judas. He's a snake like Payet, and he. Well, look, we should you, have got rid of him. If you look at some of the stuff that's come out from um, Snodgrass, Randolph, and some of the things that have come out since they've left, it's pretty damning for Billich. Yeah. What's, so we don't we don't know what's going on inside there, and he has got a history of we all thought he'd had a falling out with Billich in the past. We don't know for sure. Maybe you do. I don't know. But you know, so you can't judge it all based on the fact that he's he's turned the back on the club. He's just someone who's probably not getting on with the manager and wants to get away. Look, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but my understanding is that a lot of his issues are money related, and possibly. He lives beyond his means. So maybe he sort of spends like he's on the wages of Andy Carroll, etc., allegedly. And that, you know, he feels quite aggrieved that he's one of the lowest paid players at the club and has done for some time. I'm not going to say more than that. He won 500 quid on that horse. He did win 500 quid. To be fair, he only put 100 quid on it. If I was... (laughs) If I was in these shows, I'd have been putting a grand on it. I don't know. That's what you know. That's when you know he's got money trouble. We only put hundred quid on the Right before before we go, let's talk actually about some football. So we've got a quite important game coming up next Monday against Huddersfield. Is everybody going? Yes. Um, yes. I, terribly, I can't go because I've got to do a pro, program on CNN at ten o'clock. So I just have to watch it on my phone. Poor planning, Ian. So I've got I've got two nineteen sixty six seats up for grabs. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so so contact up. Ian. <laughs> contact Ian if if uh, if if you want uh, seats for Monday night. So Huddersfield, uh, transfer. Uh, sorry, injury news. Um, you you may have read and, and heard, and I spoke to the club today. Fernandes got injured with the Swiss under twenty ones. Uh, there was rumours on social media he'd broken his ankle. Um, it is badly sprained. They're waiting the results from the scan. But he's certainly almost going to be out. Um, and, and the news I got just before we came on air is about Lanzini. The rumours about Lanzini are true. He is in Argentina. Uh, he has got a, a, a knee strain. It's a return of the knee strain. Uh, he is not going to play against Huddersfield. Um, so you'll predict to people on your, your website, Ian. We'll, we'll get this information, I'm sure. And um, we don't know how long it's going to be out. Some people say three or four weeks. It's it's a bit hard to say. Well, and um, is out as well, isn't it? 
Sorry? Ayu is out as well, isn't he? Well, people are saying, you know, there's been reports of a muscle strain. Uh, again, the sources close to the club tell me they're not sure that that precludes him from playing if, if required on Monday. You know, and said, well, muscle strain's all part and parcel of it and, you know, <laughs> give him a massage and he'd be fine. Uh, so I'm not sure he's he's particularly injured. So say all of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andy Carroll, though, the good news is Andy Carroll should be fit. Um, Sacco and Andy Carroll could both be on the bench or, or starting, maybe. So here's my question to you. Knowing that injury news, we know we've got Anatovic out, his last suspension. Uh, I'm, I think Reid might be a doubt. How how do you line up? You need your first win. The pressure's on now. You've been thrown under the bus by David Sullivan. Billage knows this is a must-win game. Uh, I start with you, Nigel. How do you line up? What 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 team selection do you put out for this must-win? The game of the season. Four four two. Four four two. Who you put up with front? Tikarito and Sacco. Tikarito needs someone like that for him to feed off of. Four four two. Antonio wide right. Um, cool, we're running out of midfielders, though, aren't we? Um, yeah. Obiang in the middle. With is Kiyati should be back. Yeah, he's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Ob- well, what you could do is actually Obiang and Noble in the middle, and put Kiyati centre back. He's played there for Andelet. He's played there for us and done really well. With injuries, I think if Reed's injured, I'd want to put Kiyati there with Ogbonna. Um, Creswell on the left uh, Zabaleta on the right Hart in goal and then I just got to think of a left winger oh uh, Declan Rice no he's not a left winger we haven't got any left wingers have we that's the problem he's going to have to play someone else unless he plays 3-5-2 that could work and then you push Creswell on Antonio wide right Free centre halves. Actually, Creswell could play left wing, you know. Well, and Masuaku, yeah, yeah, he could up. do that. Yeah, he could do that. So, Ian, you come in. How would you change um, the the uh, Nigel's setup for for Monday? Um, I would play four four two the same. Um, either with Sacco or Carroll, probably Sacco because he's at least he's played a few games, and then maybe bring Carroll on sixty minutes or so. Um, I would play. I would play a fairly defensive midfield, actually. Um, yeah, have Antonio on the right, but then I, I, I would probably have three. I'd have uh, Obiang, Kiate, and either Noble or Rice. I, I feel really sorry for Declan Rice because he seemed to cop the flack for... I mean, he gave the ball away, not far from the halfway line. Yeah, he's being blamed for that first goal at Newcastle. I, I think it's... Uh, you have to understand how a 17-year-old is going to react to that psychologically. So I would actually like to see him play um, uh, at least some of the game uh, on Monday because if he's just dropped completely, I mean, that could really affect him. In defence, I would have James Collins, um, probably with Ogbonna. I don't want to see Font ever playing in a West Ham shirt again. Uh, Shaw Kuarte, I'm sure, would do a great job at the back. But I think... Um, Collins and Ogbonna. I know they sort of there was a few problems at Newcastle, but I mean they they are both really good on the day. And I mean, when when does James Collins ever let a West Ham team down? Yeah, I, it's tri- funny about James Collins um, because he's been on international duty, hasn't he? Has he played? Yeah, but he was in the training video today. So I I, I did sort of ask the club, said what's going on there? Because he he was you saw him arrive. Um, in the Welsh, he was called up for Wales, and yet he was in the training video today. So, so what's gone on there? Is that a little clue to what might happen on Monday if he's been called back early? Well, that's very weird, isn't it? We shall see. It... Yeah. Or it was an old video. No, no, it was a video. It had Sacco. It was a video today. There was only about eight of them training. So, you know, we're all back training after the long weekend because they all got given Saturday and Sunday off and Monday morning. Yeah, we're all back trade. Well, there's only eight of them because there's so many. Well, well, as you know, the senior squad is only about 18, isn't it? Or is it 22? And um, and most of them are away on international duty. Such is the pedigree of our, our team, our <laughs> squad now, that most of the way are international duty. As DG says. Yes. So, uh, John, what's your master plan? You're Slavin Bilic again. This is, a, this is save our season got, game <laughs> again. 
Well, I, I read today that Reed is fit. So if you're if you're not no, I'm, I'm not that, confirming that. I'm not denying it. I, I I read some time ago that Reed wasn't fit. Uh, I haven't got any new information, if I'm honest with you, uh, this week about Reed. So you might be right. Right. But I mean, I'd go with, like pretty much agree with Ian and Nigel. It's it for me. It's what's going on up front, and I would go with Sacco with him because Sacco is sharper. He has played more games, so. Apart from that, yeah, a variation of what the other two gents have said. Would you leave yeah. um, Mark Noble as captain? Or is it time for change of captain? Now's not the time to change a captain, no. no. Now's not, I don't think, the time to cho- to drop Mark Noble. I I agree with most of what you said. Um, I, I would actually start Andy Carroll if he's fit. I would start Andy Carroll on Monday. I'd bring him in. Even though he hasn't, he's not match fit. He's not played anything. Not played any football. I, I, I would. I'll so. get him. Get him to get some early goals. Bring Sacco on second half. Last twenty minutes, causing chaos, if needed. For me. We shall see. Last question on. Uh, well, let's do some predictions. I know we've done that before, but a lot's happened since then. Nigel, prediction for Monday. Uh, I'll stick with 3 0 win, like I said last week. Oof. Ian? 1 1. John? I think I said a draw last week, didn't I? I think I did. I'm, uh, let's, let's go for like a really nervy 1 0 win. Well, I was going to go for a 1 0 win. I'll go for 2 1 win. Um, if if it was 1 1, do you think that that would be enough? No. Well, that's what I was going to ask. My question is. What does Billich? What result does Billich have to do to save his job? If he gets a loss, is he gone? If he gets a draw, does that save him for a period of time? What? 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 Let's start with you, Nigel. Does he lose his job if he loses? Yes. I've, I've not that I want him to. I, you know, I've done it all. Everybody knows that. I, I've loved Stay of execution if he draws. If he draws, well, even if he wins, I think it's a stay of execution because. The club would look at it that he's expected to beat Huddersfield. It then goes, to, and this is the problem of the situation that the owners are put him in. When they go, oh, he's got four games. If he win, if he loses Huddersfield, he's gone. He ain't coming back because we've got West Brom, and then we've got Tottenham, and then Tottenham. we've got Swansea. Now, if he wins Huddersfield, he's going to need a result against West Brom. I think to save his job as well. I think to save his job, he needs a result out of the, He needs four points out of the next two games. Ian, if he, if he loses, is he gone? Well, this is where they needed to have been decisive after the Newcastle game because they would have then had two weeks to decide what to do or to potentially attract yeah. someone else. Um, I, I think he will be gone if he loses. And like John, I, I, I say that with a heavy heart because I, I don't... There's only one manager that we've had at West Ham, well, actually, I can think of two now, who where I've genuinely almost cheered when they got the sack, Glenn Roder and Avram Grant. All the others, I've actually been quite sad. And I've I had a dice. Didn't you have a dice? Actually, you know, that's three. <laughs> I've, I've sort of wiped Allardyce from my mind somehow, but there is, this, oh. there is this growing concern of mine that he might be in the frame to come back, but uh, hopefully not. Um, so I, I think, look, he's clearly, he, he's, the, he's a bit like Theresa May. He's the walking dead, isn't he? he we know that he's going to go at some point. So I never see the point in delaying these kinds of decisions. If they've made up their mind that he's not going to be West Ham manager at the end of the season, um, there is no point in delaying that decision. Mm. John, anything to add? No, yeah, I think if, if he loses, he's gone. And he, he, like um, Ian's saying, it is inevitable. And they all they seem to do they do it they do it before they did it before even with Allardyce they undermine and then they create a situation where it becomes untenable and they should just be decisive and get rid but I guess if they get rid it costs them money does it Sean Yeah it does well not a lot he's on about 1.25 million a year obviously less than a year to run now so it's cost them about a million quid in compensation still mm. a million quid though yep. I'm gonna make. An anti-board statement. I think 
they did the wrong thing over the you know the summer period, and the writing was on the wall last season, and they needed to act over the summer, and that's the reason their indecisiveness is why we're in this situation now. I mean, it, what was it? And we said this last week: five wins in twenty-four. You know, all right, we finished on a win, but. It hasn't worked. Billage gets... I've said this before and I've been saying it for a while. Billage gets found out. He's got no plan B. He plays people out of position. And they've only got themselves to blame in the situation they're in because they didn't act over the summer. I would have acted, like Ian said, after Newcastle uh, if I hadn't have acted over the summer. Um, but now I have this funny feeling. If you look at the history of Sullivan and Gold at Birmingham... They don't, they're not decisive on sacking managers. They held on to Avram Grant for too long. And I have a feeling that even if he does lose, he won't get sacked. And it will go on. And then it will go on till January. And they think, oh, if we can just stay in the division, let's just hold it out till the summer because we won't have to pay any compensation. We'll have the whole summer to find a new manager. We don't want to make an Egypt. So I have this funny feeling... For all the talk, and I don't think he'll be offered a new contract, so I do not think he'll be the manager next season, but I have this funny feeling that if he keeps us sort of mid-table, he will still be the manager at the end of this season because he'd just do enough to keep us out of that relegation zone. Well, we have to get to mid-table first. We, we have to score some points first, Ian. Yeah, to be fair, we're not that far off mid-table at the moment. <laughs> well, oh, how many no, points do we get? Right, it is only three games. Yeah, that's you know, uh, all yeah. Is and gloom. We we've lost under Zola when Zola came in at the club. We lost seven on the trot. Yeah, and good point. So th- this is nothing new. Well, the only f- bit new of it is that the, all three games were away from home on the trot, which which is very rarely, if ever, has happened in the past. And at three grounds where we generally, generally don't do very well. well. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you look through the previous seasons, you'll see that we don't collect points generally at those grounds anyway. So, yeah. you know, as I said before, we only got one point in the season we finished seventh. And this is the thing when people go, oh, Billy Chat, Billy Chat, oh, he's used to... He took us the seventh and the eleventh. You yeah. you go back. You'll have to go back to Harry Redknapp to find a manager with two seasons like that. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one last thing that I'm criticising board is. I think they need to manage their expectations. You know, I said Sacco was possibly living beyond his means. I think West Ham are trying to live beyond their means. You know, I mentioned earlier. You know that we we've borrowed money against TV these payday loans. Recently in Company's House, we've borrowed money against we've mortgaged the free training grounds we've mortgaged the lease of the london stadium for 99 years we've li- we've mortgaged the shop leases we have at lakeside and romford you know because why would they do that they would do it because well, it's not mortgaged is it they've used it as collateral all right it's collateral but it's the same thing basically they've done it ian because you can't borrow money offshore anymore against TV money. So the Premier League have outlawed it, but to to help with cash flow, they've now got a hole in their their um you know, in, in their budget Bucket. and they're saying, Well, how will we get the money? Well the only collateral and security we've got now we haven't got a stadium is is the lease and and these training grounds. So but it, But how can there be a cash flow problem when they've spent so little money in the I mean that I mean we forget twenty five million for Payet, now no doubt they didn't get all of that up front, but they they we've spent net in the last two transfer windows not very much money. Uh, net in, net spend over the last two transfer windows is still approaching fifty million. Net spend, even with those in. Well, this window was about seventeen. Nine, nine, nineteen point two million, and it was something no. like the. In the Telegraph table, it was 14.5, and that's a figure I've seen elsewhere. But, I mean, in, in, in the previous transfer window, we had a net income, surely. No, we didn't, because when you look at it, and I've, I've done these figures recently because Tony Gale came out and said our net spend over the last four years was only 4 million. So I went back, I spoke to a senior source, and I found out 
the exact figures on each one on this window and the last window and it's a lot it might not be 50 million it might be 40 something million because i haven't got the figures in front of me but it's i can get i i un, my understanding of asking the figures to these senior sources it, it was 19.2 this figures have either been inflated or deflated in certain areas and let's not argue over five million and even with the sale of Payette, we spent a lot of money. Let's not forget we spent, we bought Lanzini and Snodgrass and all these other ones at the same time. That was yeah, that was last season. We're talking this window, Sean. That'll be you. You put in all their wages for the whatever. You 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 inflate the figures. The actual fees paid. Yeah, I'm only talking about transfer fees. If you don't believe me, right? There's a very accurate website to look at. Look at transfer market, right? Without an e and have a look at the transfer they're the one of the most accurate um, sources of transfer they go back like 10 years have a look at the net spend in the last four years and i worked this out it was 104 million so when um uh, tony gale was saying it was four million in the last four years it was actually 104 he just missed the 100 million off and that is where the money goes whatever profit we make as a football club go straight into player trading and and people have this perception that the net spends not very much but look at transfer market it's not it's not a, a Clarent Hugh production it's not pro ball it wasn't written by Sullivan it's independent and that will show you the true but the, so the, the bottom line is they're having to borrow money to operate yes because they have basically they've, they've never capitalized the club have they they've always come in and just managed the debt They've never capitalised. Well, the they they put in their fifty million quite early. I don't think they've put any money yeah. into the club since two thousand and fourteen, for memory. Well, they put their two thousand thirteen. They put their money into take I mean, out. Another argument. Another argument you could say is they've they've not bought anyone decent yeah. enough to sell. Well, Payet. That's why we've had a net spend. Yeah, but hold up. They sold Payet. So how much did they paid? Ten. For well, 10 it was million. it was nearly sold, eleven. But yeah, and they sold him for twenty six. Right, nearly eleven. Sold him for twenty. 26. Hang on a minute. I mean, Antonio, they bought for 7 he million. Was, if we sold yeah, him now, he'd be well over 20. Lanzini bought for 8. He'd be yeah, over 30. I mean, hold up. I haven't sold him. So at the moment. No, I don't think they did. Cuarto paid 8 million for him. He'd get 15 or the 20. The players they were buying under Allardyce had no resale value. A bit like the players that actually they've signed this season have got no resale value. So now that was a reason that they argued not to buy back Jermaine Defoe. Oh, he's got no well, resale value. Far be it for me to defend Allardyce, but I mean, Angelo Ogbonna, would we not get more for him than we paid for him? Not so. Um, you look at uh, Cresswell, three million, and what would he be worth today? Not so. You look at Pirate, um, Obiang. But we've not sold them yet. No, no, but they have resale value, don't they? Yeah, but the players that we've bought and sold, what we're looking at is net transfer spend. When you look at a club like Tottenham, they'll buy club players that, that are decent, young and British, and sell them on at a top price, or even foreign, and sell them on for a top price. You know, they buy a chip here, get rid of Walker for 50 million, and they've already got a chip here who's been at the club two years. The, 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 our transfer dealings have been, you could argue, and not being conducive for building a club to what the owners said they were going to do. The, the problem is they bought too many Fagulis and Snodgrasses. Yeah, That's exactly the problem. Right. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm just going to... I'm Just to put this one to bed, I'm going to tell you. 19.2, I'm going to tell you the spend because I've just bought it up. Anatovic, 25 with add-ons. Hernandez, 16. So that's 41 million. Out went Norfite. Was reported for eight million. Was only four million. Randolph was sold for five. Fletcher for four. Faguli for three point eight million, and Valencia for five. Some of those have been inflated in the press. If we look at the last season, we spent sixty-three point seven million, and we sold thirty-six point nine. So in AU, twenty-one point seven million. Lanzini ten point eight million. Um, Snodgrass ten point eight million. Font. 8.28 million. Well, they, let's just stop, Hang on, Massadarku, 6.39. Fernandes, 5.76. So that is, and um, the only outs were Payet, 26.3, Tompkins, 10.3. And that's why 26.8 million net I mean, spend last season. If you look at Fagouli, didn't we have to give him 3 million to go? So actually, the 3 million pounds. We did, got, yeah. 
Well, not three million, well, but three million yeah, euros. Well, yeah. So, yeah. what did we get from actually a million? Just yeah. look at our January window. Our January window, Snodgrass and Font. How much was that? Did you just say yeah. nearly twenty million? No, no, no. So, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, almost twenty million. Yeah, nine. So, I mean, what? Slavin Village picks, by the way. Slavin Village picks, not chairman picks. That's convenient. But the funny thing about that, I would point yeah. out, is that David Sullivan's mantra has always been you never get value in January. You never get value in January. And yeah, he proves it, it himself. So it makes you wonder, well, why did he do that then? Anyway, we've just gone over the hour. Uh, so we're going to bring this one to a close. Uh, Nigel. Uh, how do we solve this problem? Really short answer. Win games. Good. Ian. Score, score more goals than we let in. Yeah, like it. John, you've got the hardest one now to come up with something else. I, it's it's going to be horrible, but it's going to be a new manager. Oh, good. Good. Right. Uh, thank you uh, for this impromptu um Cobra meeting for more than just a podcast. I think we've solved all of West Ham's problems. The meltdown <laughs> is now officially over. I have been Sean. Nigel has been. See you next Tuesday. Ian has <laughs> been. Theresa May. And John has been. Happy. Happy. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bobby Moore. Come on, you irons. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 